you're a fan of Excellence Expected, and you already know the power of podcasting. You know that it's second to none in building trust. You know that it's second to none in engaging with an audience. And you know that it can help you to create a tribe of loyal fans for your small business. Today, I'd like to introduce you to a company called The Podcast Host, created by my great friend, Mr. Colin Gray. A company that helps anyone, including you, to start their own show. Whether you want to learn to craft fantastic audio through their online courses or actually let them take care of the entire process with their end-to-end production services, all you need to do is do the presenting, send them your plain, mistake-filled audio, and they will do the rest. There is no technical knowledge required at all on your behalf. And because Colin and I get along so well, I've secured an amazing deal for you as a listener of Excellence Expected that is going to give you a huge 50% off your first month. So head to thepodcasthost.com forward slash excellence and use the code EXEX to take advantage today. Excellence Expected, the inspirational business advice podcast. Hey, 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 guys, welcome to another episode of Excellence Expected with yours truly, your fourth favourite Englishman, Mr. Mark Asquith. We've all seen James Bond, we know he's at the top. Now, I must apologise, first of all, it's winter as I'm recording this, and I have a frog in the throat. It's uh, it's going to be an ongoing thing this winter, we're going to have a bit of a laugh about it, so if I cough and splutter, do you know what? You know me, I'm just going to leave it in. So we're going to have some fun with that one. Now... Thank you so much for joining me for 30 minutes of your time, whether you are in the gym, whether you're driving to work, whether you are listening while struggling writing a blog post for that blog. It all counts, so thank you so, so much. Now, the issue that we're going to challenge today is the issue of happiness, and actually, is there a more important issue ever? The thing with business is what very often happens is that you you actually move forward and you strive for success thinking that happiness will be there waiting for you at the end. But actually, the deeper you get into that, you realize that that's actually not true. So that's what we're going to look at today. How to stop being so focused on the day-to-day running of the business and actually get your why back, actually get your happiness back and look at how that can have some very, very surprising results when it comes to success. And joining me today is an expert in happiness. I never thought I'd say that. I never thought I'd say you could be an expert in happiness. So it delights me to welcome to the show someone who is dubbed the happiness speaker, someone who has been featured on the BBC and in the press as a happiness expert, and someone who is the author of The Recipe for Happiness. So welcome to the show, Frederica Roberts. How are you? Very well, thank you, Mark. And like you, I'm suffering a bit with my voice. So between us, we will soldier on today. We'll plow on. Now, for you guys listening, you know that I interview so many people from the States. I've interviewed people from Australia. I've had people from sort of Thailand. I've had a few people from the UK, actually, Mr. Ducker and uh, Ben Beaumont, Daniel Moore, Don Gent, a few of the guys that you're going to know. But never before has someone been so close to me. Frederica is actually, you're about, what, maybe 10 miles away from yeah. from where I'm recording yeah. this? <laughs> what a small world. It's amazing. We actually figured out that we... Uh, 
we knew some people in common as well. So it amazes me the medium of podcasting once again <laughs> it's brings a very people together. World. And you know what I didn't mention off air is that actually I've arrived at where I'm living via actually being Italian and German, growing up in Luxembourg, and then ending up ten miles away from you are now. So really, uh, yes. <laughs> wow. Well, I ended up uh, where I am today from living three miles away from where I am today. <laughs> I did. I did live in Brighton though, and down south. So I kind of ventured out down that path, but certainly not Luxembourg. That is, uh, <laughs> you've you've got me on that one, Frederica. I love it. So, you are a happiness expert. Let's tell people a little bit about that. What's your story? What do you do? And you know, how do you help people? Okay. Well, um, as the happiness speaker, I go into schools, into businesses, into charities, um, and. I basically either run happiness workshops, laughter yoga classes as well, because I'm a, I'm a qualified laughter yoga leader, or I deliver presentations on the subject of happiness. I've also recently co-founded a program called Resilience Wellbeing Success, which I run with two other speakers, Elizabeth Wright and Jane Snell. And at the moment, that's been running in primary schools of all places, uh, because primary school head teachers were crying out for us to work with young children on on their resilience, their well-being, and and ultimately leading to success. And we're actually now talking to public sector organisations and businesses with that as well. So it all kind of ties into what you were saying in the introduction, that, um, you know, we spend a lot of our lives looking at happiness as the end goal, when actually um, we should be looking at it the other way around, really, and starting with happiness, and a lot of things will follow from that. It's kind of a uh, an interesting journey that we set ourselves on. You know, if we think about small business people and entrepreneurs, you know, we we very often think that money or this this intangible version of success that we, I guess we we think we're seeing in other people. You know, this kind of highlight mm. reel that people put on social media and on Facebook, and you know, you see people seemingly doing well. It feels like happiness a lot of the time in business is a destination that we need to arrive at. And I often personally think that that is just a real kind of fool's errand. Is that, you know, is that kind of in line with what you guys think or, you know, how do you approach that? Well, I kind of look at it, first of all, that success is lots of different things to different people. And you're right, we are kind of presented with this image of success and never more so than thanks to social media now, where if you were to believe everything you saw on social media, you know, everybody in your industry is doing a million times better than you are and everybody's having it really easy. And, you know, you're sitting there thinking, why is it just me that seems to be banging my head against a brick wall all the time? And actually... Success, first of all, I think needs to be broken down into success can be whatever you want it to be. You know, if success means to you that you have the freedom to take an afternoon off when you want to, to go and watch your children in a play or to to spend some time with friends, etc., while running your business, then that is success. Um, you know, you might not be making as much money as the person next to you, but if you're idea of success is to lead the kind of life that you enjoy and that is balanced, then achieving that is success. So that's the first thing really that you need to define what success means to you, what it is that you want to achieve. <clears throat> but where I'm really coming from is that happiness shouldn't be the end destination that you think, well, I'll be happy when I've achieved that success. I'll be happy when I've made my first million. I'll be happy when I've lost weight. I'll be happy when I meet the love of my life. If if you look back over your life and anybody listening to the show looks back over their life, how many times 
have we ever thought that in under whatever circumstances I'll be happy when? And actually, if you do that, you will always have new goals. You will always have new objectives. You will always have new things that you're striving for. And if you're not careful, that happiness then could never come. Um, happiness, you know, I'm, I'm often described as being quite an irritating, chirpy kind of person. And when I used to share an office with people um, back in my recruitment days, I used to come in in the morning and I'd go, good morning. And there'd always be somebody, you know, that would go, oh, what's good about it? And, you know, I was that annoying person, but actually happiness is so much more than that. It's it's about that kind of knowing your place in the world, knowing what your values are, what your beliefs are, feeling quite grounded and being able to really enjoy all the big and small moments in life to the most of your ability. But also happiness is really almost synonymous to me with resilience because it's about being able to bounce back. And in business, you definitely need that. You need that ability to pick yourself up when you haven't made a sale, when things haven't gone that month the way you wanted them to, etc. To, to just kind of get back on the saddle and, and keep going. Yeah, I completely agree with with some of the sentiments you mentioned quite early on in that section as well, insofar as that definition of success. I'm going to share something actually with you guys listening. You, you know me really well from the podcast and you know you guys follow me on social media, you see me on the website, but one of the things that you perhaps don't know is that one of my own metrics for success was that when it came to the point that I had kids, which I haven't yet, but they are on the horizon, when it got to that point, I wanted to be able to say to them, whatever you need, you know, we'll go do it. You know, if you want dropping off at school every day by me, then you get that. If you want picking up every day by me, then you get that. And, you know, there will be never a point where I can't attend something that you're doing. And Frederick, you mentioned there, you know, that, that idea of freedom mm. and if that is what success looks like to you, that really, it kind of shocked me about 18 months ago that I, I realized personally that I'd achieved that. It kind of crept up on me, you know, cause <laughs> as, as you said, you're so focused on work and your yeah. day to day that you don't realize that you've got that. Like no one, no one could tell me that I couldn't do that. And at that point I had kind of, <laughs> I had kind of like an existential crisis <laughs> because it was like, well, what do I do now? What? Like, what do I work for? Because <laughs> I could actually just disappear now and the business would be fine. And, you know, I could take a kid to school and so on and so forth. But it's really interesting because things creep up on you if you're not careful. Mm. And I often find that you, you, I guess you get bypassed by that happiness. You forget that you're happy because yeah. you don't recognize it. Is that, is that a really wild statement or does that happen <laughs> in your, you know, do you see that in people? No, it's quite wild, but actually, although nobody's quite put it like that to me before, but that's very accurate, I think, because I think people expect happiness to be a permanent state of cheerfulness. And it's not possible to be permanently cheerful. Um, happiness is really a much more kind of underneath the surface state and and I call it actually a deliberate state of mind you know to, to me it really boils down to um, aside from the specifics you can do to be happier which I know we'll talk about later but it really boils down to before you do anything else you've got to decide to be happy and that happiness then is just something that's kind of there under the surface while you're getting on with life. So if you're expecting to be permanently cheerful and to feel this kind of, hooray, I'm happy all the time, then maybe it will pass you by because you're not realising that while you're living life and you're enjoying these freedoms that you've worked hard to achieve and all of these things, that is actually happiness. And 
For example, you turn down a piece of business because it's not aligned with your values or your ethics. I used to do that quite a lot when I was in recruitment um, because, you know, I had very clear moral guidelines of what I would and wouldn't do. And actually, that is happiness. That is success and all of that rolled into one that you know fundamentally what your values are and your beliefs. And you can therefore say, no, this might bring me more money, but that's not where it's at. It's actually about doing what makes me happy and what makes me happy is being aligned with what I believe in. Yeah, that, I think that is huge, Frederica, because one of the, the big things that I always say to people, you know, when they, when they, I guess when they ask about that turning down the work, you know, people say, how can you turn down the work? And it's because back in the days when you're a startup, and I'm talking if you're a service business, so if you're running an agency like we used to do, um, I say used to do, it was you that used to work in recruitment. We still run an agency. Guys, if you're listening at work, you've still got your jobs. We're all fine. <laughs> Um, but <clears throat> in the early days, you actually take on work because of that cash and you find yourselves working until 8, 9, 10 p.m. And you really dislike it. You know, it's against the values that you set out to achieve and it's set against the goals that you set out to achieve. And you do you do question why you're doing it. And it's because you're chasing that money and having that confidence to just say, well, you know, this is not this is not really why I started this. You know, mm. It's not why I want to do what I'm doing, although it becomes difficult in the early days, the happiness that comes with it and the fulfillment, the confidence, the validation that you're on the right path, you just, you can't buy that, can you? No, exactly. And, and you know, even though I live and breathe happiness and this is what I do for a living, this is what I talk to people about, we all fall into that trap from time to time. And I do have to remind myself from time to time um, that, that this is actually, you know, take a step back because sometimes it is easy to get a little bit stressed and harassed when you're having to drive left, right, centre to drop the kids off as I do, etc. And then actually, you know, to take that step back again and just remind myself that this is why I'm doing it. This is why I'm self-employed. This is why I do what I do because for me, the most important thing is to be able to do that for the children and earning a living, running a business is there to allow me to do that, not the other way around. So it's it's something that, you know, no matter how engaged you are with the process of really working on your happiness, you still need to remind yourself every now and again. I mean, um, without getting morose, but both my daughters, this is kind of how I really got into exploring happiness more. Both of them were born with severe heart conditions. And between the two of them, They've had two cardiac arrests and three open heart surgeries and more hospital stays than I can count, really. And every now and again, if I do get caught up in that whole hectic, you know, working late, etc., just take a step back and just think, hang on a minute, remind yourself of why you're doing this. Remind yourself of how lucky you are um, of being able to, you know, have two annoying teenage daughters, one of whom is actually going to be 18 in two days time help. So, you know, it's, it's that kind of, again, coming back to really what matters to you. And I, I fundamentally believe that if you're going to run a business, then that business should be there to provide you with what you want in life and not to be your master for you to be the slave to that business. Yeah, that, and it's a massive turning point when you realise that. One thing I just want to shift into, Frederica, actually, is that kind of turning on 
the mindset of happiness. And the reason that I'm curious about getting into this is that I remember like back in 2012, I was having a bit of a rough time. I was, I was in this day to day, you know, so, so focused mm. on the business, had a bit of a burnout, worked too much. The missus Upton left for three months. She was like, I've had enough of this. And it was, you know, it was a crazy time for me because it was just, I mean, the focus was all, yeah. all wrong. And you guys listening out there, you know that you've, you've heard the show, you know what that's about. Now, the interesting thing with that was that I wouldn't say I chose to be like that, but I kind of chose not to get out of it. And almost, I think almost instantly when I decided that I didn't want to be like that anymore, almost instantly I became happier because I just decided yeah. to be happier. And now the, the way that that manifested for me was just dealing with things differently rather than going crazy at something trivial. I decided to approach it differently. And rather than seeing every small defeat in business you know you lose a contract or you don't win a contract or a competitor gets something that you wanted rather than seeing that as a big negative it was a learning curve and yeah you know that was a very conscious decision now I'm, I'm really curious about this is this like is that legitimate do people can people do that or is that is you know is that just something that's just I've completely made up and I've just it's like a bit of a um, I guess just something that I've made myself believe. How, how does that fit in? <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And, you know, like you, um, I've come to a lot of this initially, instinctively, um, you know, things that I just did because I did them and I found they worked. And more than once in my life, I've kind of made that conscious decision to to be happy again. You know, And that's why I talk about happiness being a deliberate state of mind, because it really is a deliberate shift. And what I was really interested in was that once I decided to really work on happiness as a career, rather than just something that I did instinctively and happened to me, and to share what I'd learned, I started looking a bit more into the research on happiness and well-being and resilience and luck and all of this kind of stuff. And one piece of research really stood out by um, a researcher called Sonia Lubomirsky and various other colleagues that she worked with. Um, and she was really interested in how it is that some people are apparently naturally really happy people and others aren't. Uh, because as I said before, you know, I am one of those people that does seem to be generally a little bit chirpier than a lot of others. Um, and there are people like that. And, you know, there are people who seem to permanently wallow in misery. Let's face it, we've all met them. And she was really interested in what is it that makes the difference? What What is it that, that these people are doing? Is it genetics, etc.? So she looked at a lot of the research that had been done on this and pulled it all together. And what she identified was that when looking at the differences between different people's levels of happiness, about 50% of it is genetic. So there is actually a certain amount that, that we are all born with, a kind of base level of happiness. Um, but the, the bit that you, you would expect to have a huge impact, which is perhaps, you know, how financially affluent you are, whether you are in a, in a fulfilling relationship, whether you are living in a country where you have personal freedoms or whether you're in a dictatorship, whether you're at war or at peace, all of those things you would think have a huge impact. But actually, they only account for about 10% of the differences between people's levels of happiness. And what she therefore concluded was the remaining 40% was what she called the intentional activities. 
And that's exactly what you were talking about, you know, actually making a deliberate choice to be happy. And then, yes, there are very specific activities and things you can do, of, of which I will mention three um, before the end of the show, that you can actually do to deliberately boost your happiness. But that very first step is just to make the decision. And that makes a huge, huge difference instantly. It really does. And it, it, it kind of surprised me when I adopted that mindset, you know, two or three years ago to just approach things really, really differently. Now, the interesting result of that, of course, was that things generally happen because one, you're more approachable, you know, you become yeah. very free in your conversation. You become very open to opportunity. I'm a big fan of, you know, not really saying no to, mm. I wouldn't say not saying no to anything, but giving everything and everyone the time of day. And when you switch into that mindset, I personally found that you you just attract opportunity because yeah. you're willing to have conversations where you normally would have shut them down. Is that, again, is that, is that something that is a byproduct of that? You know, what are some of the effects of just thinking yourself happier? How can people expect to change themselves when they, when they do think like that? What will come of that? That is definitely one of the byproducts. And actually, um, there's a really great book by Sean Acor uh, called The Happiness Advantage that really looks at the business case, why it's really important to work on your happiness and quotes far more research than I would have time to tell you about in half an hour's show. <clears throat> and he actually talks about Richard Wiseman as well, who's a British researcher, and he talks about um, the work that Richard Wiseman has done on the luck factor and all the research about how people make their own luck. And that's very much down to what you're talking about. It's it's about how you're attracting opportunities, how you're spotting opportunities. And that's the other side of it, actually. When you are happy, when you are in the right headspace, um, and that headspace where you have decided to be happy and to be in a good place, not only do you attract more opportunities because you're more open, but you actually spot the opportunities because you're more open. Um, because when you're closed off, when you've got that one track mind of just focusing on the one thing and you get really bogged down and you can't see the wood for the trees, opportunities literally pass you by. And there's, again, um, Sean Acor quotes some amazing research he's done on this where he's given people newspapers to look through and there were opportunities, you know, to make shed loads of money by finding, counting images and stuff. And the people who were happy immediately spotted a massive half page notice that said, stop counting. And it said how many pictures there were in the newspaper. And the people who'd done a questionnaire that showed that they weren't that so happy just looked at that page and completely missed something that was blindingly obvious. And even later on in the paper, there was another opportunity that said, stop counting, show this page to the researcher and collect another check or whatever it was, the amount. And again, those people who were unhappy didn't see it. So there is actually overwhelming evidence to, to say, um, not just anecdotal, but from research like that, that when you are happy and when you've made that decision and when you work on your happiness, you actually notice the opportunities that are opening up to you in the world. And the other thing that I think makes a huge difference is that when you have that mindset, you start talking to people who have a similar mindset and you're inviting more and more of those people who are open and uh, willing to share opportunity, etc., into your life. And that kind of then becomes a self-perpetuating kind of cycle where you surround yourself more and more with people of a similar mindset. So it becomes like a, a snowball effect of, of each other's success growing as well. 
Yeah, that's that's a really vital point there. You know, if if you look at the old Jim Rohn quote, I think it's Jim Rohn. Um, you are the average of the five people yeah. you spend the most time with. You know that old classic quote, and it's it's really interesting to see that because if you surround yourself with people who are one, whatever you deem success to be, if if you surround people yourself with people who seem to be successful, and it kind of matches with your ideals of success, you're going to be driven to achieve what they achieve, yeah. or certainly a level like them. And also, if you surround yourself with people that are really genuinely are very happy with what they've got, where they are, who they're with, and so on and so forth, you just you just can't get away from that fact. You know, you will you, you're not frankly you're not allowed to do anything else <laughs> because you just you're not in the space to do anything else. And no. I think one of the biggest the biggest issues for certainly for small business owners and for entrepreneurs is that sometimes we forget to get out of the building. We mm. forget. You know, especially like a one-man, two-man band, you end up just sat in an office or working in a shop or you know on a factory floor or whatever, and you you're producing your products or delivering your services, and you forget that other people are out there, and that then self-perpetuates this negativity. Yeah. You know, so it's a it's quite a tough cycle to break, isn't it? Sometimes it is. It's really tough. And I was actually in a in a situation not so many years ago when. I was trying to run about, I lost track of how many businesses in one go. And one of them was a food business. And I was running it from there and home and it was actually doing really well. Um, you know, I'd got it into a, a really nice sort of top-notch deli in Harrogate. And um, I was getting it into local supermarkets, you know, small little supermarkets, but it's going places. But I was working so hard and suddenly it hit me because I got to the point where I thought, right, in order for this to grow, it's going to have to leave my kitchen and I'm going to need a big investment and for this to go into some kind of factory setting. And two things hit me then. One, that in order to do that, I would have to compromise on the originality of the product and the very essential sort of artist artisan qualities of it that I didn't want to uh, compromise on. But the other thing that struck me is that I'd got into this because I absolutely love cooking. And actually cooking is something I do for stress relief. So I'm Italian and it's, you know, cooking is kind of the be all and end all. And suddenly it occurred to me that by doing this for a living, I'd actually managed to almost kill off this big passion of mine, which was to cook. And the cooking, which had been a source of stress relief, had actually become a source of stress. And I was no longer enjoying cooking for pleasure, for family, for friends. And I thought, that's it. Draw a line, close it off. And it was a really hard thing to do because when you've worked for a year on something to get it to a point where it's ready to really grow wings, to actually just go, it's not right. It's not doing what I wanted it to do. It's really hard, but sometimes you've just got to kind of bite the bullet and do it, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's a very difficult thing to do, to kind of see that your baby is not going down the path that you want it to go down or you know it has so far but in order for it to grow you've got to sacrifice what you originally envisaged and it becomes a quite a tough decision now i think the interesting thing that you mentioned there you know about about actually having that realization is that if you if you do go down the path that you're not happy with and you end up chasing the cash because frankly it's the cash and you know there's, there's something potentially big at the end of it Mm. there is a sacrifice of, of of the happiness side of things there as well. You know, it becomes back to what we said right at the beginning, which is which do you go for? Do you go yeah. for the cash hoping that it brings you the happiness or do you actually stick to your guns? And that that is very often one of the biggest decisions we have to make in business is, is what do we want to be doing with our time? 
what ideal are we chasing? And that it's kind of scary sometimes, isn't it, to to actually mm. realise that what you thought you wanted would actually make you unhappy. It is. It's it is really scary. And the thing is, you know. I know it's a very old saying and it's cliched, but money doesn't buy your happiness. And that doesn't mean that you can live in abject poverty and be really happy because you do need to actually fulfill your basic human need of feeling safe and secure, having a roof over your head and all of those things to really be able to work on on the higher, uh, you know, echelons of, of working on your happiness and well-being. But beyond that, the only way that a lot of money will make you happy is the experiences that lots of money can give you. So whether it's the family holidays or, you know, the the time that you can spend partying with friends if, if you're a very sociable kind of person. But if you're achieving all that extra money at the expense of the experiences that that money can buy, and that's experiences and not belongings, then actually you won't be happy because you are just chasing that money and the money is not actually an intrinsic goal. It's it's just this external kind of thing that that people strive for that doesn't actually give you that sense of fulfillment ultimately. That is some really sound advice there. The 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 idea of experiencing what the money can bring you. I saw something recently, some research that said that, you know, the key to happiness happiness financially when you sorry, let me rearticulate that. When you are financially stable, the key to happiness is not buying things, it's having experiences, yeah. which is exactly what you said. And I, I did see that backed up by some research. So that, it kind of got me thinking a while ago, you know, rather than, for example, with Christmas presents, I know, I know it sounds really weird, but with Christmas presents, you know, I've started buying more experiences for friends mm. and family so that they can, they can do the things that they wouldn't ordinarily buy for themselves, you know, and yeah. they, they go out and they, th- they, they do things that they'll remember. Um, that matter to them, you know, that very, very much in their wheelhouse. So I think that that is a really interesting piece of advice. Now, speaking of which, Frederica, we are going to switch it up a little bit. You guys listening out there, you know, Excellence Expected is all about the definition, the challenge and the conquering of small business issues. And today we are going to smash the issue of finding your way to be happy. Now, Frederica, you've put three fantastic actionable tips together for people out there looking to kind of change their mindset and, you know, move into a state of of happiness for themselves. So if we may, let's dig into actionable tip number one, please. Actionable tip number one is to volunteer your time. Um, This again has been backed by research um, that altruism is what I actually call being selfishly selfless. Because by helping others, you're actually helping yourself. Now, one of the great things, of course, is that you are, if you are at a point in life where you're financially in a very comfortable situation, of course, you can give money. But if you are very financially comfortable, giving money is not actually that much of a sacrifice. And in a way, what really helps your well-being in a very selfish way, if you're going to help other people, is to do something that actually costs you a little bit of yourself. So if you're going to give money when you haven't got an awful lot, it's amazing how good that makes you feel, actually. If you're going to give your time when you're really stretched for time, that's when it's really going to have the impact on you because you get that warm glow, really, don't you? Um, And I always say to, 
to a lot of my friends and to the people that I speak with in, in my workshops, etc. You know, when you bump into a friend, for example, and you say, hi, how are you? I haven't seen you for ages. And you know, when they answer the question, how are you? That when they say, oh, I'm all right, that actually in that answer, in the tone, in the slump of the shoulders, in perhaps the sideways glance, there's so much that's unsaid that maybe they're not all right. And the best thing you can do is actually, no matter how busy your life is at that point, to just go, let's go for a coffee and give them your time. And I see it in, in lots of other situations, you know, as, as a parent, making the time to spend time with your children to explain a homework problem that they're struggling with, for example, or, you know, you can volunteer your time in charities. All of those kinds of things are intrinsically rewarding. So not only you're actually helping other people, which ultimately is the goal of doing that, but that has a huge impact on your own well-being, on your own happiness. I think that is so important. It's one of the big things that I say to people, um, myself, is give everyone the time of day. I, I love what you said there about being selfishly altruistic. That's a really nice way of articulating the way that I think as well. I, I often I often say yes to things that I probably shouldn't do. Like <laughs> on paper, you're kind of like, well, should I really be doing that? But actually, you don't know what's going to come of it. It's back to that open mind attracts opportunity kind of notion. And you just got to be nice to people. You got to give people the time of day and you just got to say yes to the conversation. I think it's really, That's it. really important to do and that. Obviously, you don't do it for any reward or anything coming back. You do it because you want to be open and helpful, etc. But just by the very nature of the way that the world works, when you are like that, when you help people, you do find that, you know, it comes back to you, even if you're coming back to you simply by you feeling that amazingly lovely warm glow that you've done something great. Um, I remember being in a shopping center recently and it wasn't something I did. It was something I saw. I was going down an escalator and at the bottom of the escalator that was coming up, I saw this frail old lady and she was really dithering at the bottom of this escalator and she was looking at these steps coming out of the escalator bottom with sheer terror on her face. And you could see she was just thinking, how, how do I actually take the first step? And this very young woman came up behind her and there was a fleeting look of uh, impatience on her face. And then she immediately shifted gear and she just went up to this old lady and she said, come on, let's do this together. And she took her arm and they went one, two, three, took a step and up they went the escalator. And it's as simple as that, really, being selfishly selfless. That young woman just, she made the old lady's day because she got her up the escalator. They had a little chat on the way up. She made my day because I witnessed it. I then came home and I put it on Facebook. And it was one of the most liked and commented on posts I've ever had because people were going, oh, isn't it amazing? And people were sharing their own stories. So this little tiny gesture of helping this old lady up the escalator had a massive ripple effect. And that's what it's all about, really. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that. And that you, you make a, such a good point about the ripple effect. That's really important to to understand how investing your own time can really, I guess, can really impact people that you're not going to expect. So, I, 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 for example, I'm thinking of um, the guys at Hacksaw do a lot of work with, you know, helping kids, young entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. going up to schools, talking, helping through projects and so on. And 
it's not only the fact that you're doing that there and then, but it's the fact that, you know, that's going to impact the parents' day and so on and so forth. It's, I just think that's something that you forget and you discount it yourself. You don't, I guess you kind of don't give yourself enough mm. credit for how much impact that has. So I think, I think that's a fantastic point. Super, super stuff. So let's shift into actionable tip number two, please. Actionable tip number two is exercise and laugh. Now, laughter, I actually treat as a form of exercise. Um, and being of the kind of disposition that doesn't easily go to the gym, I must say, um, and every time I seem to try and do something to get fitter, I seem to do myself an injury. So I've actually been unable to go for long walks and so for quite a while with a tendon injury. Um, I do know that exercise is really powerful and, and there's plenty of research to back that. But actually, you can get the same benefit really from laughing. But the key there is to not just wait for laughter to happen, especially if you are a little bit stressed, a little bit run down, a little bit worked off your feet. Um, those are the times when perhaps things that would normally make you laugh might not. So it's really important to actually find ways to just laugh without reason, without comedy, without humor, without any jokes. And this is where laughter yoga comes into it. But you don't need an instructor, really. You can do it yourself and you can just sit in your living room or whatever and just like an idiot, start laughing. If you can't do that, just Google laughter yoga and you will find loads of videos of people doing just that, laughing into a camera. And I guarantee you, you will laugh with them because laughter is infectious. And what happens when you're laughing is that you are actually working your abdominal muscles, you're working your facial muscles. And as a result of all that, um, you're also taking in much deeper breaths. So you're getting oxygen into the bottom parts of your lungs. We are feel enough so you're actually allowing your brain to focus more because oxygen's going around your system better and on top of that um because you're working all these muscles you're releasing endorphins which are feel-good hormones and they're painkillers they're the same hormones that you release by going to the gym so you can actually get those benefits and what also happens as you're releasing those endorphins is you're actually reducing the production of cortisol, which is a stress hormone, which has really nasty effects on your body. Now, cortisol in small quantities is great. You know, when you're working against a deadline, best thing in the world, that little bit of pressure to just give you the push you need to achieve, um, the little bit of pressure when you're nervous before an important meeting or as a speaker, perhaps bef before a speech, um, but if you have constant cortisol going up and up and up in your body because you're stressed, then actually that has really negative impact on, on your body and it makes you ill. So counteracting that with endorphins and doing things like whether it's going for a walk, whether it's going for a swim, going to the gym, whatever floats your boat uh, and or making sure that you laugh daily is actually really powerful. Yeah, I can get on board with the laughter, and also, I mean, the exercise thing is 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 really important. I struggle. I kind of love exercising and I love training, but I struggle when I'm so focused. It's always the first thing to go, which I know mm. is a mistake, but it still happens, and I, yeah, I'm really, really guilty of doing that. And don't you find that once you realise that, you actually find that you've been a bit sluggish, and that your mind isn't working as well as it could, and that the stress is creeping up, and as soon as you go back to the gym, suddenly you're more focused, you're achieving more, you're actually more productive. Oh, no question. Yeah, yeah. it's it's a, a completely different world. It really is a different world because, you, you as you say, you don't realize how sluggish you are. It gets to a point, actually, that you, you actually do begin to realize. You, you actually, like, 
I I get to the point where I feel slower, you know, physically mm. slower and I feel mentally slower and I feel like I'm operating at 80%. Um, and a lot of it comes down to nutrition as well, you know, eating properly and, and doing doing the kind of, uh, the not the whole balanced nutrition thing for me. I'm very much driven around um, setting goals, so physically setting goals and then putting nutrition in that hits those goals. And mm. when I do that, the, 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 the other byproduct of that is that I'm focused on something else that's not just work. So I'm focused yeah. on like getting my macronutrients and getting an hour of exercise in every day. So that it, it allows me to change channel in my yeah. brain. Well, you're certainly more disciplined on the exercise and nutrition front than I am, but I will say that I do my bit when it comes to laughter as a as a way to achieving that. And also, sometimes, you know, if you are busy and if, like me, you're just not the gym-going kind of person, you know, just dance around your living room, you know. It, it just doing something that just energizes and gets those endorphins going and gets the blood pumping and and just breaks that cycle of sluggishness yeah it's it's um the, the laughter's a good one i'm i'm just guilty of laughing at my own joke so i'm probably <laughs> never, gonna, never gonna struggle with that <laughs> the <laughs> missus loves what, it she's she... to do laughter. sorry carry on no i was just saying the missus loves it she's always telling me off for laughing at my own joke <laughs> but she just never does <laughs> Oh, I know, I know. I think I think I'm guilty of that too. At least my children always tell me that. Um, in fact, my daughter always says, "You know, you're not funny." <laughs> it's like, oh, thank you. <laughs> but I know. I, I actually signed up to do comedy night for charity last year, and the first thing my youngest daughter said to me, she said, "But why are you doing it? You're not funny." Wow. Like, Thanks. Thanks for the vote of confidence. <laughs> That's great. But um, one of the best things you can do, you know, like if you're stressed in traffic and you, you co- you're late for a meeting or something and you just feel the, the pressure kind of bubbling up because you're not going to get there in time. And actually, no matter how stressed you get about it, it's not going to get you there any faster, is it? So one of the best things you can do at that point is to just burst out laughing. And what's particularly great is if you're stuck in the kind of traffic where there's cars next to you, and it's worth it just to see the freaked out looks on the other driver's faces as you're sitting there completely on your own and just laughing your head off. And it's it's brilliant. So try it next time you're feeling a bit stressed in the car. Well, that's going to be good. I always like freaking people out when I'm in the <laughs> car. I usually do it by singing old Journey songs and singing them <laughs> really loudly. But this is a this is a new game. <laughs> I like Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I love it. That's amazing. Super stuff. Frederica, let's shift into the third and final actionable tip, please. Third and final. I've saved this one for last because it is the most important. And if your listeners do nothing else after this half hour, then I would urge them to all do this. And it's very simple. It's practice gratitude daily. And it is really as simple as that. Um, Now, to put it into context, again, uh, research by Professor Martin Zeligman, who founded prof- the, the uh, positive psychology movement in the late 90s. He was really interested in gratitude and he asked volunteers to do a very simple experiment. They measured themselves on questionnaires on their happiness level and then they wrote down three good things once a day for just seven days. And then they carried on measuring their happiness level. And what was amazing, I think, is not so much that most of them were happier as a result of doing it, but actually how long this enhanced happiness level lasted. Because for some of the respondents, it actually lasted for as much as six months. 
And I think that's just astounding that you can potentially be happier for six months just by writing down three good things once a day for a week. Um, there is a proviso. The thing that makes it that powerful is to actually write down why those things are good so that you're actually really going into the thought process of what's happened to you that day that's particularly good and why it's good in your day. But even if you don't go into that much depth, if you just carry a little diary notebook or something with you and every day just write down at least three things that you're grateful for. And it doesn't have to be earth shattering stuff. You know, I mean, some mornings I wake up and it's freezing cold and I'm just grateful for a hot shower because it's without it, frankly, I wouldn't get out of the house, you know, um, just being grateful for a stranger smiling at you somewhere or you know, it really is the slightest thing. Somebody holding a door open for you. All those little things, they build up. And as soon as you get into that frame of mind, it's going back to really where we started the conversation about happiness being a deliberate state of mind. Once you start noticing the little and big things that are good in your life, it shifts your focus from the things that are going wrong. Because we can only actually perceive, actively consciously perceive about 1% of all the stimuli that come at our brain at any given time. So if we tell our brain that we want to focus on the things that go wrong, then the 1% we're going to notice is the really rubbish stuff. If we want, if we tell our brain to focus on the good stuff by writing down gratitudes and really getting into that frame of mind, then that's the 1% we're going to notice. And that doesn't mean that when earth shatteringly bad stuff happens, we're not going to notice and it's going to wash over us. But even then, if you still find something, no matter how small, to be grateful for, it allows you to get through the day and to keep putting one foot in front of the other until you can work again on, on being well and being happy. The power of gratitude is something that comes around so, so often. And it, it always surprises me that it's such an important thing that people really struggle with. I, I really struggle with it. I'll be completely honest, Frederica. I really, really struggle with it. And you guys listening out, you'll remember episode 50. Way back on episode 50, we spoke to Russ Terry about this, how to keep, uh, I guess, a, a, a small business gratitude journal and how to just succeed through gratitude. And Frederica, you mentioning it then, it just brings back to mm. me the fact that I need to get better at this. And, you know, this this idea of recording three things that you're grateful for and actually desperately thinking about them, you know, not yeah. being, you know, not being flippant about it. Like you mentioned the uh, the hot shower, the kind of roof over the head and, you know, the simple things like being able to eat well every day. You forget yeah. what you have. And I think that it constantly amazes me that I'm so bad at it. And it, I think so many people in business just see it as something that, well, you know, I don't have time for that. But the power of it has to be, has to be completely profound because so many people talk about it. So I, I echo what you said there, Frederica. You know, if there's one thing you take, please try and do that. I'm going to try and do that. You can hold me accountable for that. That's Kick it. My try it for seven days. It. Try it for seven days and see the difference it makes. And you'll actually find that you start with three things. And once you get into that mode, you find that suddenly you're writing four, five, six, seven, eight, mm. because you just can't stop. Your brain just goes into, oh my goodness, um, into this mode of finding so many things to be grateful for. Yeah, I love that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it myself. Do you know, in fact... I was out shopping last week and uh, I got a nice notebook because I liked the notebook, but I've got nothing to write in it because I've there got that many notebooks. Go. It's now a gratitude journal. 
Fantastic. <laughs> I've achieved something already tonight, you see. Yes, you have. And I've actually taken away something from the uh, from the episode, which is fantastic. I love it when that happens. We talk to, very often we talk to people in digital marketing or we talk to people in web and so on, you know, things that are really in my wheelhouse as a as an agency owner. And, you know, it's it's. I wouldn't say I don't learn anything, but it's not something that I would instantly want to implement. So today, yeah, it's, it's a really nice, really nice, uh, I guess, a byproduct of talking to you. So thank you. I like Fantastic. that. Fantastic. Very welcome. Super stuff. Well, Frederica, this has been such a good chat. I've loved it. It's been a really, really interesting chat. And I'm sure you guys listening out there will completely agree with that. And before we stick a pin in it, what I'd love to do is, first of all, say thank you so much for joining me. And second, just invite you to tell the listeners where they can connect with you online. Okay. Well, they can find me on happiness-speaker.co.uk or if they're interested in what I'm doing with resilience, well-being and success, um, then it's rws.today. Nice Check it out, guys. I cut you off there, didn't I, Frederica? <laughs> I'm a bugger for that. You've got to watch me. If you, if you take like a quarter of a breath, I'm in there. <laughs> the world's worst podcast host. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's been a real pleasure. I, honestly, I've had such a good time with that. It's been great fun for me as well. Thank you. Super stuff. Guys, do not fear. If you've missed anything, everything will be in the show notes at excellence-expected.com as ever. Now, Whilst you're over there, listen, there are a world of things that are going to help you in business. There is the now famous 14-day guide to cutting your working hours and increasing your impact. This has helped over 1,000 small business people reclaim back time in their weeks that they then use to become happier. That's what it's all about, the 14-day guide to cutting your working hours and increasing your impact. That's available for free at excellence-expected.com. We've also got the five Twitter sins that you are committing and how to stop them and regain your credibility. And also, if you're into live streaming like so many of us are, I'm a big Periscope. I love Periscope. If you want to see the beard progress, how that's getting on, get on Periscope because I'm always giving updates. Okay, it's maybe not small business related, but, you know, we have some fun with it. Or you want to dive into Blab, we've also got three amazingly simple, sustainable ideas to get your live streaming off the ground. Off the ground today. So check that out. All of that is available at excellence-expected.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. It's always a pleasure. And don't forget, until next time, the more you expect from yourself, the more you will excel. Adios. Adios.